Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. All right. Um, does anybody remember a parable that Jesus told about the bad servant who spent so many hours um, too many hours at the office, and the good servant who really had a flexible work-from-home telecommuting arrangement so that he could spend more time with his kids. Does anybody remember those parables? Mm, no. Because Jesus didn't tell any parables like that, right? Huh? Yeah. yeah, not in the Bible, Bible. Um, so you would think that the Bible would have a lot to say with, uh, about work-life balance, but really it's hard to find passages in the Bible that speak directly to that issue. Um, in fact, the Bible doesn't really make a separation um, between work and life because in the ancient world, work, life, and family life, they were often integrated or blended. It wasn't, they weren't separate things. Um, the problem with a work-life balance um, concept is you have an image of two competing forces, right? Work and life, and one will always prevail over the other, except for maybe a rare circumstance where life and work are in perfect attention and, and balance. Um, even in Jesus' own life and throughout the scriptures, we don't really see balance. What we do see is rhythms of work and rest, celebration, all centered, Jesus centered around doing his father's work and loving others. Um, you might think about when we talk about rhythms of work and, and rest and celebration, um, kind of liken that to music, right? So music, some notes are held longer than others. You know, you have your quarter note, your half note, your whole notes. You have rest thrown in there in, in your music. But when they all are put together and blended together, um, it makes a beautiful thing. Um, today, a lot of times people will seek work-life balance because we long not just to find balance in our lives, but we're also looking for health and wholeness and satisfaction as well as happiness. Um, millions of people are working so much that they, their lives feel off kilter. Um, the bodies get tired, the spirits are really depleted, and their soul is drained. Relationships get strained. I don't know if anybody of you has ever been in a position where you just had to work a lot of hours and you just felt off, right? You were tired, you didn't feel like dealing with everything else. Um, so our challenge is not how to balance work and life. Um, it's really how to live a balanced, fruitful life that consists of healthy, blessed rhythms of work, family, Jesus, and rest. Um, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, 
a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So there's, there's times for everything in our life. It doesn't say that they're all equal, that you, you spend equal amount of time on all these things. Um, there's different peaks at, in life. You know, um, sometimes you, your focus is switched over to one thing and then it will shift over to something else. But all of this makes up life, all these different um, seasons, these different times. So in the next um, hour or so, we're going to explore some elements of a healthy, godly life rhythm, as well as some of the things that kind of get us stuck in a rut or maybe um, create pitfalls for us. You know, Annette and I are um, approaching the end of our careers. We have more um, years behind us in the workforce than we do ahead of us. Um, so we're kind of sharing some of our experiences and the things that we've learned along the way. And hopefully some of that will help some of you that are maybe just starting out in your careers or maybe your mid-career. Um, so, you know, when we talk about work, what, what is the first thing that comes to mind when I say work? Anybody? What comes to your mind when, when I say tired. work? Huh? Tired? Did someone say tired? Mm -hmm. Anybody Routine. else? Huh? Routine. Routine. Anybody else have thoughts on what, what work? Paycheck. Paycheck. <laughs> yeah, right. Sometimes that's the thing that keeps us going, right? It's the paycheck. Does, um, does anybody think of work as God's gift? Sometimes. Sometimes, you know, so it's probably not the first thing a lot of times that comes to mind. Um, for a lot of people, work is something that you just have to do. It's, it, you have to endure it. Um, some people, it's something to joke about, maybe just to keep them from crying. I don't know. You know, it's like they don't, um, it doesn't bring pleasant thoughts to their, um, their mind. But the Bible takes a different view about work. So um, work is holy. The Bible begins with the account of creation um, of the world. So at the end of six days of work, so that's creating, making, separating things, organizing, gathering, um, naming things, and so on, God uh, ended that six days, and he is described as making humans in his own image. Something, you know, a lot of people think of being in the image of God, of, of a lot of different things, but one of the things you can apply from being created in God's images, that we're going to be workers, just like he was workers. He just spent six days working. Um, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, God saw his work that, that he had made, and he called it good. Um, a little later in chapter 2 of Genesis, God commissions Adam and Eve to subdue the earth. They had to manage the earth and, the, and all the animals in, in it. He puts them in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Um, and it's important to note that all of this happens before sin, with all of its ugly, unpleasant effects, entered the world. So basically, work was not a result of sin. It was ordained of God before sin entered the world. Now, although sin did have an impact on our work, um, so work is holy, work is hard. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God by eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, um, there were several consequences of their rebellion. 
Um, they had spiritual consequences. They were separated from God. They had personal consequences. They had feelings of guilt, fear, and shame of what they had done. Um, they had relational consequences. They were, they had friction with one another. You know, Adam was blaming Eve and Eve was blaming the devil. I mean, you know, they, they were at friction um, as a consequence of their rebellion. But another consequence um, that came out of the rebellion of Adam and Eve is occupational um, consequence. God told Adam in um, Genesis 3.17 that his working of the earth will become painful toil. Um, for even in verse 19, the first time in the Bible that sweat is even mentioned. And that was a result of their rebellion. So when you think about all your frustrations on your job, it could be your uncooperative coworkers or parents or patients or clients, um, your uh, customer woe or your computer woes and anything that frustrates you on your job, they're actually traceable back to this long ago event of um, the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God's um, rules and requirements. Um, work can, you know, we talked about work being holy, work is hard, but work can bring happiness. Who would ever put work and happiness in the same sentence? I mean, you don't usually use that in um, the same sentence together, but Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free." So in this scripture, Paul is really urging servants to serve their employers as though they were serving Christ himself. Um, when we do this, our labor becomes more a labor of love. Because hopefully when we're serving God, we're serving him because we love him. And we have that attitude. So when we incorporate that and we're, certain we're working as, um, as unto Christ, we're doing this as a labor of love. So when we're working, we're not just there to make a few dollars or pay the bills, um, although that's important and that's a lot of times the result of our labors, but we're also using our brains, our muscles, um, our gifts and our abilities to honor God and bless others. And when that becomes our mission and our motive, we are able to find um, great fulfillment and gladness, even in the menial tasks that we have to do at work. You know, I know probably every job has those things that you don't really care to do. You don't, you know, every job is full. There's things you love, th things you don't love. But, you know, even um, those menial tasks, we can get fulfillment out of them because we're doing them as unto Christ. There are several um, biblical principles of work that we need to remember. Um, we, we remember that God ordained work, and we already talked about that. Genesis 2.15, and the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. That was ordained of God. That was one of their duties that they had to do. Um, we also need to remember that God creates us with skills and talents to do his work. 
Um, a couple weeks ago, I was studying my Sunday school lesson, and we were talking about uh, God giving Moses the plan for the tabernacle. And was, I was reading in Exodus, and all the details that God gave them, I mean, as to what color curtains were supposed to be, how wide they were, how long they were, how many um, tatches and whole um, loops they had to have. And it was just down to the finest detail. I mean, God cares about the details. Um, and then I came upon um, Ephesians 31, 1 through 5, when I was studying this. And it says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. God gave them those abilities, their skills, their talents to do his work, to build the tabernacle. He, um, and he often, he gives us, not often, but he does gives us skills and talents that we can use not only in our work, in our secular jobs, but also in working for God. Um, God's, um, all of the kingdom work is not spiritual work. When you think about working for God, it's not all about just preaching and teaching Bible studies. God's kingdom can use event planners. Just ask Sister Angie and the, um, you know, dinners we have to plan and, and the leadership conferences. You know, God's kingdom can use organizers and communication specialists. There's a lot of communication that needs to go on in a church. Carpenters, plumbers, electricians. We have a building to maintain and a lot of times build it. Um, doctors and nurses, teachers, teaching Sunday school, teaching um, Bible studies, secretaries, cooks, musicians, um, technologists. Any, I mean, we're living in the day of age where technology, we have live stream and we have sound and we have websites and things. So all of those skills and talents, God blesses us to use for his kingdom. Um, and, and that kind of goes both ways. Um, it's not just blessing us with those skills and talents to use in his um for our work and then use them in the kingdom. Sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes we get those skills and talents in working for God. Um, we grew up as a preacher's preacher in a preacher's home, pastor's home. My dad pastored smaller churches. And if anybody has ever been in a smaller church, sometimes it's just like all hands on deck. If anything gets done, you don't have a mass crowd of workers um, there to, to do the work. And that included the pastor's family. And we, a lot of times we had our hands in everything going on, church dinners, cooking, cleanup, Sunday school, um, outreach, those kinds of things. And there's things that I learned as a preacher's daughter in working in the kingdom of God that I can carry over into my secular job. So, you know, not only giving me talents and skills for my secular job, but also um, in the kingdom of God. Another principle of work is to work as if we're serving the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3, 22 through 24 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We just read that a few minutes ago in Ephesians, and it's basically almost the same 
it is the same message, almost word for word, um, using some of the same words in Colossians. So Paul, when he was writing that, encouraging them to be, you know, uh, work, do work for their employers um, as unto Christ, it was important enough to mention it not only to the Ephesians, but also to the Colossians. Um, another biblical pr uh, principle about work is to imitate the work habits of an ant. And we probably have all heard this, you know. Um, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. Has anybody ever just sat down and watched ants work? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, they're always busy. And it's like, and the scripture says they don't have a guide or an overseer. They don't have a supervisor. They don't have a boss telling them every move to make. They knew what they needed to do, and they just did it. And they're always moving. They're not lazy. And so, you know, we can study the ant and how they work and apply those same principles to our work and how that we should just get in there and, and do our jobs and um, not be one of those people that, you know, have to be told, you know, and if I get done with my work, I'm just going to sit here until someone comes and tells me what else to do. It's like, no, we need to take initiative and keep, keep busy and keep working. Another principle is to work with the best of our ability. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. So we need to work and apply our whole um, might to it with everything in us. Whatever you find to do. I mean, there's always, if you look around, even in the church, <coughs> there's always something to do, right? And so when you find something to do, um, the Bible is telling us, do it with everything in us. The next principle of work is um, found in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So that's a principle. It's like, if you're going to eat, you need to, to work. Um, another principle to, um, to address work is to faithfully manage the work that we're given. Matthew 25, 26 through 29, it's a, a popular parable that I'm sure many of you will recognize. It's Jesus um, telling a parable, and he said, His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. So this is a parable of the talents. And God gave talents to these, these three um, servants, or the Lord of the servants gave talents to them. And it, they were different, right? One had one talent, one had five, one had ten, according to their abilities. So not everybody is blessed with the same amount of talents or the same talents. But God does expect us to take the talents that we have and do something with it. The one servant that he was afraid to use it, he just buried it. And he didn't, he didn't um, earn anything with it. He didn't use it. And so when it came to reckoning time, the Lord of the servant took it away and gave it to him that had more talents. So we can take a lesson from here. It's like we need to manage the work, the talents that we've been given. 
um, and use them for God and for his work. You know, you've kind of heard that saying, use it or lose it. Um, so it's kind of like that. We need to use our talents or we may lose them because God has blessed them with, blessed us with them to do a work for him. So work should be fulfilling. Um, Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, Here is nothing better for a man that, than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Um, enjoying good in your labor. You should feel satisfaction and fulfillment in the work that you do, whether it be in your secular job or in working for the kingdom of God. Work should be enjoyed. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? You know, if you don't enjoy your work, um, it's going to show. You know, have you ever known somebody that just hated their job? Sometimes I go through a drive through and they are the most unpleasant people. And I'm like, I think to myself, if you don't like your job, find something else. It's not worth being so miserable that you make everybody around you miserable, right? So it's like you need to enjoy the work that you do. And that's not to say that there's going to be pieces of your job that you don't enjoy. But in general, you should enjoy your job and doing um, what you've been called to do. Um, work should also benefit others. Ephesians 4.28 says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So um, when we talk about giving to him that needeth, that doesn't necessarily mean monet uh, monetarily gifts, you know, like giving um, people money, although that could be, you know, if you're working and you're earning money, you have the ability to bless others with money. But it also could be that you bless them through service, you know, taking meals to people, um, doing work around their house for them if they're not able to. So there's other ways to give to people that are in need. But when you um, do your work, it should benefit others and not just be all about you and what's in it for me. Um, has anybody ever heard the saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy? I think we probably all heard that. It's actually a proverb that means without time off from work, a person becomes bored and boring. We all need time off from work. We need rest. Uh, true rest brings us into that right relationship with God and with others. So when we experience this kind of rest, we feel revitalized, more alert, more creative, more human. I know um, a lot of times at work you you just get so tired, you've been working at it, and your brain needs a rest, you know, and it's like I go on vacation to kind of get a fresh start, a fresh outlook on life. Vacations do wonders for you, you know, when you're tired and you come back and you're just, you know, you're feeling uh, more revitalized and ready to attack whatever comes your way. Um, our capacity to love others, um, as well as our desire to be in relationship, increases when we're rested. But on the other hand, a deficiency of rest can compromise the quality and meaning of our work. Now, have you ever worked so much that you, and you were so tired that you can't focus on your work? 
or that you start making a lot of mistakes, you know, because you're tired. Um, so that deficiency of rest can compromise that as, also, as well as negatively impact um, your health, your family and personal lives. You know, you get tired, cranky, short with people that you live with. Um, some, a lot of times health can suffer from just not having rest. Your bodies weren't made to just work 24 seven, you know, like the Energizer bunny, just go, 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 go. You need a rest because um, that will um, promote healthiness in your body. You know, if we have difficulty taking time for rest, it may indicate that we've made an idol of our work. Um, as broken human beings, um, we might devote ourselves to working in the vain hope that that work is going to bring us meaning. It's going to bring us purpose, um, security, or happiness. Um, our work can also become driven by a desire for perfection or worth, uh, admiration from others, or status. Some people even define success um, by comparing themselves to others. And so they work to have more than they do, you know, like keeping up with the Joneses or be doing better than the Joneses. I mean, that drives people to work um, more and more. Others uh, use work to avoid dealing with other areas of life. You know, have you ever seen somebody to bury themselves in work to forget their hurts, their pains? Um, we sacrifice our health, our families, and our discipleship on the altar of excessive work. And, you know, the idol of work might fool us for a time until we're passed over for a promotion that we thought we deserved because we, we put all the time and effort into it. Um, it might fool us until we're fired or laid off or even retired. Um, then when we discover when that work comes to an end, we've become strangers to our family, to our, um, to our family and friends because we've put everything we had into our work uh, fulfillment doesn't come from frenzied work, always working um, and never resting. It comes, uh, fulfillment comes from rest and from repentance. And strength comes from quietness and trust. A trust that who we are in Christ is enough. We don't have to prove and become better by how much we work. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. And Isaiah 30.15 says, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence or trust shall be your strength. Um, and speaking of rest, um, I, I'm sure this will uh, ring a bell with you. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, one of his commandments was to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 20, um, verses 8 through 10 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. You know, the word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word that means to rest from labor. The word holy means something that is sacred or dedicated to God. God wants us to make the Sabbath day feel different from all the other days of the week by resting from our normal daily routines, and dedicating our thoughts and time to Him. 
Um, I'm not going to read it, but in Luke 6, 1 through 5, um, we read about it's the Sabbath day and Jesus and his disciples were hungry. So they went into the fields and they plucked some some heads of grain and they ate the kernels. And some Pharisees at the time, they complained that they were working on the Sabbath and they were breaking the law. So Jesus responded, you know, David and his companions um, also broke the rules when they were hungry. They went into the um, tabernacle to the house of God and they ate some of the consecrated showbread. And um, Jesus concluded by telling them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I think, you know, the Pharisees, they missed the entire point of the commandment. Um, Keeping the Sabbath was not about developing a lot of rules and exceptions. You know, you you can't work, but yet if your your ox falls in a ditch, you can go do it. And they were all about those rules. And if anybody broke them, you know, that was not the point of the commandment when God said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. It was about understanding God's heart. Um, The principle of the Sabbath is not choosing about choosing one particular day of the week over the other. Uh, what we need is for a proper rhythm of work and rest that is good for us and for our families and for those we serve. Mark 2.27 says, And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for the man, for man, and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us so that we would have a day of rest, a time away from um, our daily routine. Uh, there are about, well, there's many ways that you could observe the Sabbath day to make it holy. And the first one, I'm going to talk about three ways. The first one is to worship God. Um, One of the best ways to keep the Sabbath day holy is to devote time to worshiping God. Um, On Sunday, which is the day that we choose um, to observe the Sabbath, and it's really not about is it Saturday, is it Sunday, it just kind of depends on whose calendar you're following. That wasn't the purpose. It was like taking a day, whether it be Saturday or Sunday, Um, and turn your thoughts and your hearts to God. And we do this by attending church services and hearing the preaching of the word, praying and reading our Bible. Um, The second way that you can make your Sabbath day holy is to prepare during the week to keep the Sabbath day holy. Without planning, Sundays can easily become just as busy as other days of the week. Um, So if you plan the rest of the week with your Sabbath in mind, so that you have plenty of time to rest and worship. Uh, Running errands, cleaning your house, getting groceries, getting other tasks taken care of on Saturday when possible. That way, the Sabbath day really feels like a day of rest, and it's separate, and it's holy. You know, um, when I was growing up, it was never a question about what we were doing on Sunday. We, it was never a question. It was, we always went to church. Church was the most important part. And when you have that mindset that Sunday is a day for church, it's a day for dedicating God, then it will help you prioritize the rest of your week. You know, to some people, it's like, I have all these things to do this weekend. I only have two days. And so they don't get them done on Saturday. They're going to take Sunday and they don't have time to go to church because they've got to get these things done. But when you have the mindset that Sunday is not an option to do all these things. I need to get them done other times. um, And I'm going to focus my Sunday on worshiping God as a day of rest. The third um, way that you can make your Sabbath day holy is to choose uplifting Sabbath day activities. The Sabbath may be a time for us to rest from our labors, but it doesn't mean that we can't do anything um, on Sunday. We can choose to do activities that focus on God 
the family, providing service such as visiting family and friends, taking food to someone who's sick, having a weekly game, family game time, going for a walk, enjoying God's creation. There's a lot of things you could do. It's, it's a break in our normal routine. Uh, and set aside that day of rest and relaxation to worship God and to focus on God and family. God has promised amazing blessings to those who keep the Sabbath day holy. And um, keeping the Sabbath day holy is going to strengthen your relationship with God and family, as well as give you a greater focus and confidence. And with that, Sister Annette is going to come and finish it up for us. Right, so I get to talk about all the other stuff. <clears throat> How do we balance everything else in life? And so I, I was thinking about all the, the noise that we have in our lives. And I'm thinking about tablets and computers, the things that Jesus didn't have to worry about, right? The news, the media, um, Alexa. You know, they didn't have those in their tents back then. And we have just this unlimited amount of noise coming at us from all different directions. You know, we're getting constant text messages and phone calls and emails and broadcasts. And it's the noise of everything else, everybody else's life, that we're just, just streaming it into our own, which can lead to us feeling overwhelmed and anxious. And, you know, so even if we're stressed out with work and then we add that on and we have our own stuff and all of a sudden we're just super annoyed and super frustrated and we can't figure out why. But I, I did find it comforting that this, the scripture that said Luke 5, 15 through 16, but so much more there went out a fame abroad of him and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of him of their infirmities. And we, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And I was thinking as a Sunday school teacher, can you imagine, like if I was telling the kids, can you imagine a great multitude of people? So say there were 500 people there and you hear everyone saying, Jesus of Nazareth, heal me, save me. I need you. I need help because they did need help. Like, okay, be real. Two little kids in Sunday school, Sister Nat, Sister Nat. And I'm like, what? <laughs> One at a time. What is it? You know, you kind of grit your teeth. Can you imagine Jesus having to deal with that? Multitudes everywhere he went, every single day, people pressing him for an answer, for a need, and he had to get away, separate himself, and pray. Which when you think about that was, you know, it kind of made me feel better. <laughs> um, I So I, a lot of what I'm going to share with you through the rest of the session is as she said, as we age, and we're, we're getting up there, uh, believe it or not, we are. And these are things that I'm learning, things that I have learned through my 34 years of working. So right now, uh, this is something that I'm trying, is turning off noise. I love noise. I love when I start getting ready of a day, I want something playing, whether it's music or news or a podcast or something like I just want that noise, just that, that noise going on. And then it, it has been dawning on me lately, Annette, you're really drowning out the voice of God. The ability for him to speak to you in that quiet, still voice, like only he can, because I'm drowning out his voice in noise. And so I have been, it's, it's very hard, but I have been like, 
laying aside the phone and not letting it play anything, and even scriptures, just not letting it play. I need quiet to be able to focus and to hear his voice. Now, for those of you on social media, there can be a lot of drama. So I can just tell you, I don't really do drama. It gets on my nerves, you know, and I'm good at scrolling past. I don't have to get involved. But what I've also learned is you can modify your newsfeed without unfriending anyone and creating more drama. And you know what? It's so much better because somebody will say, hey, did you see? I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't see that. I don't know nothing about it because I want to live without that distraction. I don't need that adding to my work-life balance issues of having all these emotions that I have to deal with on top of life. I'm going to talk about daily prayer. So the, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he was busier than anyone around him. If you read in the last chapter of John, I think it might even be the last verse, it says, the world could not contain the works. Had they all been written down what he did while he was here on earth, that overwhelms me. He was only 33. The world could not contain all the volumes of what Jesus did while he was here on earth. We can literally say he is the busiest person, was the busiest person to ever walk the face of the earth. But his priority was prayer. He was God manifested in the flesh, but he still had to pray and connect back with the spirit to recharge because he was giving and giving and giving of himself constantly. And if he didn't have that, he wouldn't have lasted probably 33 years if he hadn't been able to recharge Mark 135 says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, I can tell you until about seven years ago, I was a nighttime prayer person. I, I could, I'm a night owl. I could stay up and pray and not fall asleep. I mean, but then my, my nephew, Aaron Blevins, for those of you who know him, he issued a challenge in our family to read the Bible in like, I think it was 60 days. I, I remember it was like summertime. And, and so I thought, well, I'll accept. And so, because I've already do the daily bread program, so I'm halfway through the year anyway, so all I really have to do is six months within 60 days. <laughs> that was my thought. And I will tell you, this is how the Lord spoke to me. It has never happened before that time. It never happened. It has not happened since. But you would not believe between Psalms and like Malachi, the number of scriptures that deal with rising up early to pray. And every time the word early was in the scripture, it would bold. <laughs> I kid you not, like it, it freaked me out when it first happened because I'm like, I must need new glasses or I must have an eye infection or something. There's something wrong with me. But it would, it would bold the word early morning, rising up early to pray. And those two words would bold. And I was like, I don't really want to hear this, Lord. Do you know how tired I am? This is exhausting. Um, but I started, I started changing that day seven years ago. Do I always nail it? Absolutely not. Have I hit the snooze button ten times instead of getting up to pray? Yes, I have. But on those days, I will also tell you, I get up and apologize to the Lord for not crucifying my flesh. I've learned, it, you know, we talk a lot. We talk a lot about, I, okay, I'm a preacher's kid. Um, so 
Tithing is one of my passionate subjects, and I've told pastors that before. If you ever need me to teach on tithing, I'm your gal. But tithing is not just the money aspect. It's the time aspect. If I give God the first minutes of my day, do you know how much better my day goes than when I don't give him the first minutes of my day? Let me tell you, it's a drastic difference. And I know the pressures of life, like, Sometimes prayer seems like a luxury. I just don't have time for that, or that's on my list to do, but I'll do it before bed, and then we fall into bed, and we fall asleep before we get much out um, to him in prayer. Um, I do pray at night, also, no fear. And I will tell you, um, if you want to know the story, come see me. But after my dad died, I prayed a prayer at night specifically. The next morning, a lady a couple hundred miles away texted me, told me what I said to the Lord, and gave me a word from the Lord. And so God will hear you no matter what time of day you pray. I'm not saying if you don't pray of a morning, God will not be with you and will not help you. That's not true. Um, I also know that saying just a simple phrase like, order my steps, Lord. Sometimes you just have a few minutes. Order my steps today. Lead, lead me and guide me, direct me. You know, I would also say, if you drive to work alone, pray. I do recommend keeping your eyes open and on the road, but pray. Use that time of prayer. God can meet you there. You don't have to have a specific altar or, you know, an hour at the church. But if you just take that time to pray on your way to work, God will help you. And I know, um, Sister Jessica, especially for you as a busy mom, um, I am not a mother, but I do know that I've, I've read things. I've even heard my mom just a couple weeks ago give this advice to a mother in the church, and she said, this time of your life is a season. God sees you. You may not be able to travail and go into intercessory prayer when you have littles, and it's okay. God has ordained motherhood, and um, you got to find what works for you. You have to find, and we all do, we all have to find what works for us in our unique circumstance and situation. Um, if it worked for Jesus, we really can't say it's not going to work for us. That's, that's, I mean, it's, it's, you're going to lose the argument. Matthew 11, 28, and 30, and I may tear up because as I get old, I'm starting to get a little weepy about things, and this scripture just really gets me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I was thinking about the yoke, how it usually has the two oxen in it, when I really picture myself in one side and Jesus in the other, he's saying, I'll, I'll do the heavy lifting. I will bear more of the load than if it were just two people together. But when you and Jesus are together, the burden is light. This is a call to the weary, overwhelmed soul. I mean, life is overwhelming with work and all and family. Come on to Jesus. He will help you. And when he helps you, he will help you bear the load. And he, if you will follow his example and just, you know, withdraw uh, for a time of your day, he will meet you there. I also love old song lyrics because that's what I grew up on. And I thought of the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We sing it all the time. And then one of my favorite songs, the, the lyric says, troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the king. These songwriters knew and understood that when we're feeling off balance, when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we come into the presence of the king and lay it all at his feet, everything changes perspective. So turn off your distractions and turn to the source of your strength, your joy, your peace. He is the close, he's as close as the mention of his name. I love these old song lyrics. He's as close as the mention of his name. Just say Jesus, and he's right there with you to help you when you are feeling overwhelmed. Now, the hard work of marriage, and have no fear, I am not going to speak on marriage. Take the Carson's class. They are teaching on marriage during IRO. Parenting, I believe, Sister Jessica, you have part of a class on parenting. And maintaining healthy relationships, those are all holy callings. God's work includes loving your spouse, raising your children, And I cannot speak to that because I am not a parent. It would be like a married person talking to me as a single person. It doesn't work. So I don't try to pretend to be an expert in those situations. But for those of you who do know my family, and I think most of you do, um, we have um, a very unique family. And I I say unique, but sometimes we joke internally that we're weird. (laughs) We're weird. Um, So Sherry is our sister. She's back there. Thank you, Sherry, for coming and supporting your sisters tonight. And um, our mother, and and we call us, you know, those are the oldie, oldie moldies. We're the originals. And then we have the three nieces, the Blevins, the Andersons, and Elena, who lives in St. Louis. And um, so about 25 years, I think it was like when Elena was younger, she was really little, we established a family dinner night. And for 25 years, whoever was available, whoever's free, they come to our house now. They get a home-cooked meal 99% of the time. Uh, Sometimes we cheat and, and, you know, order out. But we rarely cancel family dinner. We just, we don't. And, And when we do, I have found what is so amusing. You know who cries, not cries, but Complains the loudest, Aaron and Chris. <laughs> what? There's no family dinner? What? <laughs> you know, and, um, but it's a time for us to connect. We connect with one another and we have fellowship and because family takes work too. And it's just as important to us as anything else that we do. Now, I always disclaimer because, you know, that's the preacher's kid and we have to disclaimer. Wednesdays and Sundays are not family nights where you skip church. That's where you connect with your broader church family and you strengthen your relationships there. So honoring um, the call to family and healthy relationships requires setting boundaries on your work. It really does. Making intentional commitments with our time and establishing a sustainable rhythm of life. So if you have trouble saying no, I do have a book recommendation for you, Um, Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. Um, I actually got this today. 
because I loaned my copy out several years ago and never got it back. So I have read it because my friend at work many years ago saw that I was unbalanced and I have an inability to say no at times. And so this book was really helpful. It was a godly book written by Christian people who can just give you some guidance and extra help. So the more we grasp what it means to serve the Lord in every aspect of our lives, the more we can make wise decisions about how we invest our time for his purpose and his glory. So we live in a society that favors achievement. The more activities you manage to cram in your week, the fuller your life is supposed to be. That's what they say. You work that 60, 70 hours a week, well, you're dedicated. And boy, if you can get your kids at every sport out there and music, oh, they're going to be brilliant. And let's not forget the social media feeling I have to go to Instagram and take my kids to the pumpkin patch and make sure we've got all the seasonal pictures there are. And there's nothing wrong with that. We take, we've taken our kids to the pumpkin patch. But it can feel overwhelming if you're trying to achieve what this world says you need to to be successful. You need to have all these family moments that are captured online so everybody can see how wonderful you are. And you need to work really hard and you need to um, uh, make sure that your kids are educated in every aspect of sports and get exercise and all this good stuff. It's, it's overwhelming. And multitasking has become so normalized. Have you noticed the signs when you're driving? Don't text and drive. And I'm like, okay, like, who doesn't know that? Like, oh, the guy next to me who's going down the road doing this. I'm like, ah, got to pass him. I, he is not paying attention. I mean, when you have to pass laws about being on your phone while driving, you might, we're, we're easily distracted. So the next time you consider taking on that one more thing, ask yourself and even your family, for those of you who are buried, how is this going to affect the people that I love? And how, how can I say no? So... This, it gets a little emotional for me. In the last year of his life, my dad, as you know, was on dialysis three days a week. And two of those nights, I would drive him from Bloomington to Clinton, where he and my mom lived. And I would have Robin take mom and give my mom a break from being a full-time caregiver and maybe go have coffee or stop by the store or just give her a few minutes on her own. But in that last year of his life, those two nights a week, were the times that my dad and I really got to have some deep conversations. And there was one night when we were driving home and we'd passed the campground, like I'll never forget, we were like at that point in our trip. And he said, you know, Annette, there's one thing that I taught you girls that I really regret as a parent. And that was to never say no. To always say yes when you're asked to serve when you're asked to do something. And I, I told you girls, don't you ever say no. You do it. He said, I am now an example of a candle that has been burnt at both ends. And what is left in the middle is useless. And I can't give, I can't serve, I can't do anything. And that is not what God intended. So set some boundaries in your life. It's okay to say no. I'm telling you now, I give you permission to say no in your life. And that is something that I still sometimes struggle with. I struggle with saying 
no, I can't do that. Even at work, I'm sorry, I, I really can't take on one more project right now. I can later, but right now, until this one wraps up, I, I just can't take this project on. Or, I'm sorry, I cannot serve, I can't take on this at, at church, I just, I can't. Um, or even, you know, if I, if I can't watch my great nephews or niece, you know, and I have to say I, I can't, um, it's hard, but we have to, to set a boundary for ourselves. Now, this one is a little touchy and a little humorous when you think about me teaching this, but your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So the instrument we use to serve others and to serve God, we're using our bodies. That means adequate rest, nutrition, and exercise can be forms of worship to God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I am not a shining example of this, but I can tell you in the last two years since COVID, like a couple months into COVID, I was like, you know what? This staying at home thing is not going to be good for me health-wise. I'm not getting my steps in. Um, I'm eating awful food. And so I made some changes in my nutrition, and I'm still working on that to this day. I've joined some support groups, some of which some of you in this room are a part of. And we meet every week and we are very committed to eating healthier and to, to um, incorporating exercise into our lives. And um, I know Robin talked about rest. I am still not good on the rest piece. I'm still, still struggling with that. In fact, it was just a couple months ago, which is ironic that pastor asked us to teach this. We got a text message one morning from a friend of ours who doesn't live in state. She's out of state, but she was like, oh, I was praying for you and Robin this morning and, you know, just thanking the Lord for you. And the Lord just really impressed upon me that I need to tell you and Robin that you need to rest. And um, I was like, we both responded, thanks. We're not really good at that. We do need to work on it. So she had a conference just a few weeks ago in Orlando and so I decided I'm taking PTO. I'm, I'm going to go on vacation. The first three days, y'all, all I wanted to do, I couldn't care less about the ocean. It was beautiful. I just wanted to sleep. I was so tired from letting go. Um, we drove to the ocean, and then we drove back to Orlando. Um, <laughs> I was so tired. She would, she would go to her conference, and I, I would take a nap because I just couldn't even keep my eyes open. And it took me about three days before I could start working on the projects I had taken with me, uh, the personal projects I had taken with me to do. Uh, and even taking a, a, a night off during the week, I, I sit there and feel guilty because I got Sunday school to plan next week. I've got 30 crafts that I'm going to have to cut out between now and Sunday. Like, I, I've got stuff to do. I need to go clean my mom's bathroom. Like, all these things just, like, but we need rest. We have to not just rest in the presence of the Lord and he gives us rest, but we have to physically rest as well. So I am with any of you that struggle with that, I'm right there with you. 
So the term work-life balance, when you think about it, it kind of implies that we can neatly and equally divide our lives into equal parts with equal importance. And what we actually find is that life's messy and it requires constant prioritization. Our lives should be centered around Jesus because he's at the center of it all. So in Jesus, what we see modeled is a great deal of consistency. He had a great deal of peace, great deal of certainty and purpose in the midst of the most dramatic circumstances. His faithfulness wasn't measured by his efficiency or some vague concept of balance, but it was reflected in his willingness to do what he had been chosen to do, he had been created to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. This, I was reminded a few years ago at a ladies' conference, he came to seek and to save those which were lost. He didn't come to heal you of cancer, but he did it anyway, because while he was here, he was serving others, even though really his ultimate gift was salvation and eternal life. He spent time in the temple talking scriptures with the leaders. He uh, lunched with sinners. When I thought about that today, it was like, he didn't have lunch. Was it? He managed to find balance. He learned to trade from his earthly father. And in all things, he's our example. So we can find opportunities to glorify God at every part of life, the everyday activities, not just the ministry-focused uh, task, but throughout the day as we face decisions on how to spend our times, ask, ask yourself, is this activity, is my schedule drawing me closer to God? Is this is, is what I have planned, is this allowing me to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? Some days we have to work a little longer on the project. I'm doing some projects right now, and I've, you know, Robin came in, and she's like, wow, you're still working? Like, because usually she definitely works more hours than I do. And so um, some days we have to do that because Jesus is faithful to keep his word, and he's my example. And other days we might take off to take care of a sick friend, Stock the food pantry. Shout out to all the pantry folks. I love work in the pantry. I know you do too. Or we spend that special day with our kids just because Christ valued and honored relationships in his life. At other times, it's going to mean getting rest and getting some exercise and taking care of our nutrition the way we should because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit through which we serve God and others. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So in closing tonight, I just want to say our challenge is not really how to balance work and life, so much as it is to live an integrated, balanced, fruitful life, consisting of healthy, blessed rhythms of work, family, ministry, prayer, and rest. And when we blend all of those rhythms with the beautiful melody of a life centered around the master conductor, our song of life gives him praise because Jesus is at the center of it all.